Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's the My First Gig Podcast. Whoa. Sharing stories of first gigs and shows. Comedian sharing their memories. The fun and entertaining, exciting and crazy. With Dwayne Dugan as your host. It's the My First Gig Podcast. Here we go. Hello and welcome to episode 10 the series finale of my first gig podcast with me Dwayne Dugan thank you so much for joining me guys last week fantastic episode with the wonderful Kerry Pritchard McLean if you've not heard that go back and check it out it's a very strange time to bring you a podcast hopefully this can distract you or keep you company or cure the boredom for a while wherever you are in the world I hope you're keeping safe I came on here last week and just started kind of riffing and joking about some of the things going on in the world with this whole coronavirus. And I'll be honest, a lot of what I was saying was just kind of ideas I was practicing that I then used at shows that night, trying to stay on my feet at these shows. Obviously, I'd be talking about it a lot because it's what's on everybody's mind. Even if we are looking for a break or a distraction, it's almost like if you don't mention it, you're not very present. And as host, I, I like to talk about, you know, the then and the now and let the acts do their material then. And, you know, even then we were just joking about it, you know, it was the Thursday and the Friday before Paddy's weekend. It was purely tourist. We kept going with our shows. One of our acts couldn't make it over from America, but that was like a precautionary measure that he took based on Trump's travel ban, which now does extend even further to the UK and Ireland, which means I know he would have been able to get back, but it just wouldn't have been so much hassle. And basically since last week, our shows have stopped, our pubs have closed. It's St. Patrick's Day today as I record this. I know the episode is out tomorrow. I'm coming from you from the past. If you're listening to this, it has got me. No, sorry, that's not funny. Is it? Uh, maybe it is. I don't know. We need a break. We're all kind of going mad here. So basically, yeah, a lot of the stuff, we were just still kind of joking about it. And it's just, it's getting quite serious now. Wherever you are, I hope you're staying safe. Hope you're keeping entertained. There's a lot of great people online doing a lot of fun things. You know, if we want to take a little break from just promoting this podcast, if any of you are listening and you know of someone who's doing something fun to keep people entertained or keep people from going insane or just trying to help and, you know, do whatever we can in these very uncertain and unprecedented times, then give them a shout out to us at My First Gig Pod and we'll give them another shout out then. I'm I'm here. I came down to visit my mother, our, our, our Taoiseach uh, here in Ireland, which is our Prime Minister. What's the American equivalent? Is the Prime Minister thing? He's about to speak to the nation now in about 15 minutes and could tell us here, lads, look, I've got the sixth sense. All of you are dead all along. Nothing to worry about because it can't get you because, look, we're actually not here. So who knows? So I'm down here. Could be here for a very long time, but I'm here visiting my mother and I'm visiting my cat. A couple of weeks ago, you heard me talking about my cat. She's sleeping next to me now. How are you? Come on, Kitty. Talk to the, talk to them. Say something interesting. Well, what's your first memory of comedy, Kitty? And uh, and you can interpret that however you wish. And when did you think you were going to start to give it a go? 
And that's all from Kitty there. Be sure to check her out at Kitty on all social media. We're going mad. We're absolutely going mad. Like, I was on a bus down here yesterday. It's a three-hour bus. Nobody's saying a word. Everyone's trying to, like, just pretend. It was a busy bus. Like, everyone's just trying to pretend that we're not stuck on this bus for three hours in close proximity to everybody. Like, if somebody had it on that bus... We're all getting it. They say you got to be 50 minutes near them. <laughs> Three hours. And the only thing that the bus driver did was just as we took off, he said, hey, if you need to cough or sneeze, do it into tissue. If you don't have tissue, he goes, we've got tissue at the front and the back of the bus. Lots of it. And then there was silence from everybody. Nobody said a word. Like it was eerily quiet. I think everyone was just kind of in their own heads trying to just wait for the journey to be over. And then about 20 minutes ago, the, the intercom pops up and it's we we're pulling in just by this big roundabout so just before the city and I'm thinking oh he's going to say oh look we're going to be Cork in 10 minutes time and he just said right guys here's a little one for you and he hadn't had the radio or music on at all and now not just his own radio but through the entire speakers he just starts playing the Pogues Rainy Night in Soho and <laughs> we're all just sitting there we're just going to like make an eye contact being like can you hear this too? This isn't part of the madness, is it? This isn't part of the breakdown. It's quite strange. I should introduce my guest. My guest today is Langston Kerman. Langston Kerman is an American comedian. He was over here at the Vodafone Comedy Festival last year. I mentioned a little bit about the Vodafone Comedy Festival here in Dublin for the Sean Walsh episode. Thankfully, we had a little quieter room now, so it's not as noisy in the background. If you remember that one, if not, go check it out. Many people three people have said it's their favorite episode so go check it out the Vodafone Comedy Festival it's my favorite weekend of the year it's the last weekend in July and it's a comedy festival in this field in Ireland or in this park in Ireland it's a comedy festival in this park in Ireland and unlike other comedy festivals that are just held in bars and stuff they put up I think it's five or six tents and there's just lineups throughout the day Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday in each tent you probably get three shows in each one maybe four or five comedians to a show there's a smaller tent then that has like the local comedy clubs getting to put on their favourite acts and then they fly over big acts from the UK, the US and around the world and it's just so much fun because like you go in you can only get into the park with a ticket so you're just roaming around and everyone's just roaming around together and you know, it's a real nice time to, to not just meet some comedians but see so much great comedy and Langston was one of my favourites that weekend and we sat down on the final day of the festival he had been out with a lot of the American comedians to go watch a hurling match at Crow Park and we talk a little bit, a bit about that at the start oh, oh yeah I think I should describe what we talk about at the start because sometimes when it's just joint in progress you can be like what are they talking about but I like it to start with the guest but then that does negate that so I will tell you what we're talking about as we're going to go in when we're going in we're talking about hurling Crow Park all the Americans having the crack but no, he is fantastic. Go check him out at Langston Kerman online. He's got a Comedy Central stand-up special, Light Skin Feelings, on both video and audio online. He's a writer for Southside on Comedy Central. And yeah, it's just, wow, it says here, I just noticed this. He was selected by Chris Rock to write for the 2016 Academy Awards. So there we go. Oscar written comedian but as i said at the start of the episode this is the series finale 10 episodes to a series we made it to 10 10 whole episodes just yet maybe one day this will go weekly but i just like doing them batches and then going away and recording some and then coming back and giving you these i'm going to spend some of the off time promoting some of the old episodes we're still trying to get this off the ground so rather than just plow through with new episodes people are joining every single week finding this and you know sometimes there's some great past ones that people just don't know exist so if you haven't now's the time to go back and check and be sharing some of my favorite bits from each episode promoting some of the acts 
from the past episodes and then behind closed doors well we're all gonna be behind closed doors now but once we're all allowed out hopefully in the not too distant future go out and record some more for series two i've got a couple in the bank so look if (laughs) if 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 we're all stranded for the rest of our lives and we can never get out don't worry this won't be the last episode of the podcast we do have some more episodes coming but this is the series finale thank you so much for just listening thankfully there is people listening i check the stats far too regularly on a i won't even say a daily basis i'm going to say 15 times 20 times a day and it's just it's it's really comforting and really rewarding to know that people are listening to these if you are listening follow at my first gig and you know what how about you say hey just in a tweet I'm listening to the series finale of my first gig podcast with Langston Kerman. Maybe go give Langston Kerman and say, hey, following you now as I heard you on the My First Gig podcast. Go back when you say, oh, what a great series that was. My favorite episode was blah, 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 blah. But obviously, say what you want. Don't let me speak for you and don't let me speak for our guest today. Oh, segways. That's how you be a world famous podcaster and a very funny boy like myself. But no, let's crack on. We want some podcasts. Do you want some podcasts? Yeah, I want some podcasts. Turn it up, guys. Turn it up, turn it up, turn it up. Here we go. It's my first gig with Langston Kerman. I experienced hurling for the first time and what a dream it was. Like, the person who picked me up from the airport, multiple people on the street were like, hurling is happening this weekend. It's a big game. You guys should go. And then we bought tickets and it was tight. It was amazing. So yeah, a group of these went, how much do you know about hurling? I didn't know it existed. <laughs> as far as I know, this sport was not real. And uh, we went and people were describing it and it, Sound silly, so everybody's <laughs> like, "It's the fastest game in the world." And yes, yeah, like the, the fastest land sport. In I think the world. so. Yeah, and the, the American ego is sort of like bullshit. We got faster <laughs> things than whatever you think you're doing, uh, but it is. It's super fast and super sort of like intense the entire time. It was great. So yeah, it was at Limerick against Kilkenny in I think the All Ireland semi final. Yeah, semifinals. Did you go there rooting for team? I saw you yesterday. You had the Limerick colors on you. I committed to Limerick because I was surrounded by people who were cheering for Limerick. Okay. And uh, I don't match this community, so I figured I might as well at least blend Blend in. Blend in where you can. Yeah, I didn't want to be the outlier who also chose the outlying team. Well, see, yeah, Limerick are, are the underdogs, but Limerick also has a bit of a vibe. They were they're nicer now. I was born in. Limerick. I heard it was a, a shithole. That's a, it. Yeah, of a city. It was known as Stab City for a while yeah, yeah, yeah. because uh, <laughs> that was their. Uh, their method of communication was yeah. knives for a long time. Tight. So but I think I picked the right one. <laughs> Whatever yeah. the, what was it, Cal? Kilkenny. Kilkenny. The cats, they're called. Yeah, yeah, I don't need that shit. I want a good stabby team. But see, now, as a comedian, Kilkenny's home of the Kilkenny Cat Last Festival. Mm. And now you could have pandered to them to yeah, hopefully come I'm back. I'm so sorry for what I said. Hey, <laughs> take it all back. Not stabbing is also cool. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so yeah, there's there's an American comedian, Josh Prey, I think is his name, who's gone viral in Ireland just recently because he came across a hurling match. Yeah, and he said he can't understand it. And it's, it's mad for us because like, anytime I've been to America and I've gone to like baseball or basketball or American football matches, like we're aware of them. I'm right. sure because it's like we consume a lot of American TV and stuff. Yeah, like that. Yeah, I mean, it, but it's, it's it's mad to think that. You can come here and there's this thing in a stadium of 80,000 people and it's absolutely mental and clueless to the lot. Yeah, no, I mean, but our shit is everywhere. Yeah. For better or worse, American stuff exists in literally every 
facet of everybody's shit and it's not the same going back we're very blind to whatever else is happening in the world which is probably gross and not a nice thing but it's the fact about the way that we live like it's a rough sport like it's it is a rough sport they don't wear helmets there's metal on the end of their sticks and they won't wear helmets realistically we're never gonna do it because you guys don't get paid for it so yeah it's a thing where we're like ah, yeah they get to beat the (laughs) shit out of each other for free no we're go ahead yeah enjoy yourself I think they tr- they train like four nights a week, play a game in front of eighty thousand people, and then they yeah. go back to work tomorrow. Those guys are in great shape. We it's saw ridiculous. them warming up and shit. They're they're fucking big dudes. Yeah, be a nice takeaway from Ireland anyway. Hell yeah, I I did it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, before we get into your first gig, I want to ask you, what's your first memory of comedy that you can remember? Uh first memory of comedy. I guess uh, this, I don't know if we're talking straight stand up. I used to spend a lot. There's a show in America or a show that used to exist in America on this channel, BET, which is like the black network in America that specifically had like this television show called Comic View where they would play just sort of stand up every night. And it was a, a sort of like hip-hoppy mix of like different stand-up comedians that they would like dj in between stuff uh i would watch that literally every single night um and then i would watch like music videos after that and stay up super late when i wasn't supposed to whatever and so that i think was like sort of the the first memory i have of stand-up comedy but anything before that is probably like the muppets yeah and you know like jim henson based comedy um so i'm not sure but it's somewhere in between the muppets and comic <laughs> view what what age have you been when you started watching those live stand-up shows uh i had to be like 10 so quite quite young like yeah. yeah i i mean at the time i didn't have any sense that this is what i wanted to do i just thought they were really cool mm. and the the performers in particular were very uh charismatic and high energy and sort of like running all over the stage and like super big act outs and that's not at all who I am as a performer and so I think even then I sat there and thought oh I'm never going to be able to do stand-up because it doesn't look like what they're doing um and it took years to sort of like then go see other types of performances to recognize like oh I could do what I'm capable of doing I just would I have to articulate my thing a little differently than the things that I admired when I was 10. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then when would you've actually experienced comedy like in, in person? Like, do you remember when you first saw a live show? My first live show, I think, was at a club called Zanies in um, Chicago. That's where I'm from. And uh, I went there. And saw a bunch of comics, but one in particular who I'm still friends with, this dude Danny Callis, who's a really funny uh, comic based out of Chicago. And he has like a very thick Chicago accent and like his whole character is being like this sort of like rough Chicago guy. Um, And I remember watching him and being like that dude has like a, a a comfort on stage that I want to be able to build towards. Like I like how comfortable this dude. So so when you're watching him and you're thinking that's what you'd like to be, when you're seeing comedy for the first time, are you starting to think you would like to try it out or give it a go? Or? Yeah. I think by that time I had sort of, when I was going to see it live, I had committed to sort of like, oh, I want to try this. 
I don't think that I had told a lot of people about it. I think I was keeping it a secret sure, in part yeah. because it was embarrassing. Like, if I'm not good at this, I don't want motherfuckers to know. Yeah, you yeah, know what yeah. I mean. But uh, yeah, I I think at the time I was like, oh, I'm gonna try this, and I just want to see what it looks like from these people, so that I can eventually go on and do it on my own. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Uh, do you remember what it was that, that made you want to give it a go? Because like, so, so when you're watching it on TV, you're saying that, you know, I could never do this. Yeah. And like, if that's your impression of stand-up comedy, what's what do you see that makes you think, oh... This is my end now. I could do something similar. Well, I think a lot of things happened. I, you know, it, I went from 10 to 22 by the time I tried it, like decided to start doing comedy. But I, uh, I like left college. I graduated from college. But by that time, like the economy in America had had failed. So there weren't a lot of jobs for us in tw- tw- 2009. Um, and so I couldn't find a job. I was living in my mom's basement. And by that time, I'd also started doing like performance poetry or previously was working and doing performance poetry. And so when I would do the the shows in college, um, a lot of times I ended up hosting the shows for the like poets. And so when you're hosting, you're reading a poem up top and then the rest of it is just about keeping the energy up Mm. and keeping the show moving. And so I would like oftentimes end up just talking shit in between people's poems. 
somebody read a poem about their dad not loving them enough and then I'd go up and make fun of their dad and then that ended up getting laughs and sort of like energy back from the audience and I realized to some extent in retrospect that that probably was like the prompt for like stand up where it's like oh I'm I'm having fun in between I can do that I could do the fun part all the time Wait, wait, was it a conscious effort that you could sneak this in, or was it when, once it happened, you're like, oh, wait, that's... No, I think it was much more accidental than right. conscious. I think, obviously, by that time, I had been watching a lot of stand-up, so my attraction was towards funny, mm. but I don't think that it was like a, a concerted effort to be like, I'm going to try stand-up in between people's poems. It was just like, oh, I'll go talk, and sometimes the talking got big laughs, and then I thought that's better than the other thing. So, you know, you've experience of getting up in front of people. Yeah. Putting the microphone in your hand, putting a bit of pressure on yourself. So, like a lot of people when they start, their pressure is, that's what's hard for them, is right. standing in front of a group of people. Yeah. Whereas if you've experienced that already, you're probably more focused on your material now when you eventually start. Yeah. I, I mean, I definitely had built a comfort on stage that I don't think is as common for people who are just starting. Definitely. Yeah. Um, but I also think this is just a funny thing about poetry. Poetry is just so, so much more of a, um, or it curates a much kinder audience that, you know, even if you hear a bad poem, the culture of poetry as a, a listener of poetry is to clap. It's to support it, snaps, whatever it is that people do. Comedy is not like that at all. Yeah, Literally, you're not, not going to heckle a poem. It's like, that's a shit poem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Literally, comedy is the, the we're, we're going up against our enemies every night, right? Like the expectation is that we're not funny until we are funny. So the audience is never really our teammate. They're like somebody we're having to work against and hopefully they come on board immediately kind of thing. Um, so, it, yeah, it just is a different vibe. And I think that was the hardest transition was like you go from a thing where no matter what I say, everybody is proud of me to a thing where no matter what I say, everybody is going to think I'm an idiot right? until I prove them. other. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about how you went about getting booked. Do you start hanging around in Zanies, like talking to people, asking advice, or? Um, weirdly enough, and and she's here at this festival. But Cameron Esposito was literally one of the first people to sort of explain what booking, the process of booking was like. But basically, um, I think I reached out and and because I had been doing her open mic in Chicago for years, not years, I had been doing it for like six months. And I reached out and I was sort of like, hey, I think I'm funny. I think I've been doing well. You are doing well in the city. What do I do to do what you're doing or at least some version of what you're doing? And she explained that, you know, it's all about reaching out and getting to know people and spending time in rooms. Even the ones, the shows you're not on, you should be going and hanging out and introducing yourself and going through that whole process. And so that's kind of what I did. Um, just sort of like taking that advice to heart and it sort of didn't work. Like I really didn't book any gigs while I was living in Chicago. I did nine months in Chicago before I moved to Boston. Um, and so that entire time I was just mostly open micing. I did one gig the entire time I was there. So would your first gig have been an open micer? No. Yeah. My first gig was while I was open mic. Like I, so I was open micing. 
I had reached out to Cameron. She told me what to do. I was doing all these other things. And then a friend of mine who I had been doing open mics with uh, had this room. Uh, his friend was running this room on the south side of Chicago uh, at this place called the Checkerboard Lounge. Um, and he said that he could give us both like five minutes to go do time. I'd never been there. I don't know anything about this, but he's a homie. He told me to go. So we're going. And we drove out south and we did this or we went to this venue thinking it was going to be a good time and ended up being like a 300 seat room with like 20 people scattered in it. Yes, yeah. uh, like seven of which were there for the show was like a mixed thing. So it wasn't just comedy. It was like we we were the only comedians, but then there was like rappers and like DJs and like singers, whatever. But uh seven people in the audience were all performers one of whom it was his birthday and he was dressed in all white wearing a crown and sunglasses so it's like this is gonna fucking suck it's the worst thing that could have possibly happened for my first gig in any form and i went up and the dude didn't know me so he put me up first he told me do five minutes. I went up. I probably made it a minute and a half in before a dude all the way at the back of the bar who's not even facing the stage. He's watching an NBA game on the TV. He doesn't even turn around. He like is listening but watching the game. And he just from the back goes, boo, boo, nigga, boo. And I'm just standing on stage with the three jokes that I knew how to do. And I just like finished up and got the fuck out of there because it was like, this is embarrassing. I don't even know how to fix this. Wow. You know what I mean? So that's what you considered like the first gig? That was it. Wow. That's, that could be tough. <laughs> Getting yeah. booed off stage. How do you have a second ever. gig after this? Uh, because we're all sick, <laughs> right? Like, there's want a to fix it. Like, there's a reason that all of us do stand up, and it's not because we're healthy. It's because we made a choice that we think we're better than human logic. Logic says you don't know your audience. You don't know these people, so you're you have no ability to make them laugh. Laughter comes from familiarity and intimacy, and like. Yeah a shared experience with people we're creating a false shared experience and that's like the magic of our work right and i like you probably are a sick person who believes that i can create that familiarity even when it doesn't exist so despite the fact that i was booed off stage i was sitting there like nah i I could do better. This could be solved. I'll make that guy in the back like me the way that he doesn't right now. Well, that's good. Yeah. Like, that sounds like it could crush you, but, like, to be a bit defiant and motivated coming out of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I was sad for a week. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to pretend like it, was, it wasn't crushing. It just isn't crushing 10 years later. Do you remember who the other person doing five minutes was on the show? Uh, Yeah, he lives... His name is uh, Darrell Norris. He lives in Florida now. Um, I, we keep in touch very rarely, but he's a nice dude. I don't even, I haven't seen his comedy in years. Um, but he was, when I was like trying to figure comedy out, we ended up like going to a lot of open mics together. So it was sort of like a nice, just a dude you look over at and you go like, all right, there's somebody else here who's as unfamiliar and scared as I am instead of sort of like going in these spaces alone. So when you know you've got five minutes, like I know you've had the, you know, you're trying to make funny kind of moments based on the poems when you're doing uh, hosting those shows. But when you know you've got five minutes and you have to write five minutes, yeah, but you've never written a set before, how how do you go about that? Do you just kind of 
Where, where did you take your inspiration from? I I don't know that any of us know how to do it until we're doing it, right? Mm. Like the first time I ever had to do a longer set, longer being like 15 minutes, I thought I had five. You know what I mean? But you go up and you do what you can do. And then you figure out how to talk through every other idea that you might have had. And you then you realize, oh, I should pepper these things or fill in these blanks or elongate this idea or, you know, sort of like try to f- turn this thing that I said into a joke and a real joke and not just a thing that I I blurted out because I was uncomfortable. Um, so I think the first attempt at writing a set is really just literally writing down all the ideas that you know you have and then as you go along you figure out how to make that into a real set like how do i how do i mold this into something that isn't just a list and obviously when you when you get booed and you you leave a minute and a half in yeah you probably give up on some of that list right there yeah you give up on some of the list or you really buckle down and figure <laughs> out what what it was that upset that was person that next so show much? i've got a lot left that i didn't get to say yeah exactly do you uh do you remember what your opening joke was that night ah uh, i don't i honestly don't i used to have this joke my mom hated it uh where i talked about i i'm a big john mayer fan And talking about how, like, big of a fan I am that, like, he had this weird article that he wrote years ago where he, not wrote, but he was in this Playboy article where he talked about um, how his dick is a white supremacist. That, like, he's not racist, but his dick prefers white women. And it was uh, one of those things where people all called him problematic and a bad person for suggesting that he wouldn't have sex with black people, whatever. Um, And I remember having a bit about my how much I loved him despite whatever like uh, racism is cooked into his behavior. It was like, I I still have sex with John Mayer. I don't care if he doesn't want to have sex with me. My mom hated that shit, but I feel like that probably was in there and it wasn't the right bit for that audience in particular. <laughs> it was like an all black audience. Nobody listens to John Mayer. Nobody gave a fuck about what I was talking about. And Certainly I not when here. you bring up what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I was going to ask you, do you have any memories of the crowd that night? I guess that guy behind the bar watching the game is, is a pretty yeah, I one. honestly, I don't even remember what he looked like. I still remember the dude with the crown with and the, the crown sunglasses. And the white suit. Because he went on, I went on, then the comic went on after me. He did five minutes. He did pretty well. And then the dude with the crown and the sunglasses went on, and he was a rapper, and he went on and rapped for like 20 minutes. And it was unbearably bad, but the seven people that were there for him were going crazy because they're there for him. So his birthday. (laughs) Yeah, it was his birthday, and it was one of those weird things where like, the the ego of the comedian is still the ego right so i'm sitting there like furious that i didn't get the warm reception that this guy in a crown and sunglasses is you, getting you thinking at that point you're like right when i have a second gig i'm gonna make sure it's on my birthday yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i gotta i gotta change my whole look this is <laughs> this regular clothes thing isn't working for me you said earlier that you kind of you're a bit defiant coming out of it you're like right you're gonna keep on going like so how long did you stick with those open mics before that moment came when you reached out to cameron and started trying to get booked on gigs then Mm, i i probably reached out to cameron like five six months into me working i left uh chicago like nine months into me as working as a stand-up so i didn't that was for stand-up no i left for grad school okay um and went to boston 
uh, to write poet, like I went to school for poetry. So that was like sort of a transition where I, by that time had sort of committed that like stand up was going to be the thing that I wanted to do, but I also had a backup plan, which was grad school. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, then once I got to Boston, I got a shit ton of shows because, and maybe this is true here. Like when you move scenes, a lot of times you are treated like the new guy immediately. You start over. But when you've been doing stand-up for nine months mm. and all the other new guys are literally just starting, you look way better than everybody else. Yeah, because although you're brand new, you've got however many months of experience. Exactly. So I, I had been booed off stages. I had I had gone through some of the, the you know trenches of the whole thing. You had thicker skin. Exactly. I uh, So I looked like a, a veteran co- compared to the other people that were sort of in the same peer group as me. And so in Boston, I was excelling and doing really well for what I needed to do. Um, and I think that that was really good for me because it was a great like confidence boost. You go from getting nothing to getting a lot all in a, a quick turnaround. And so that really helped me understand like oh this is what your funny actually does this is this is what would make people laugh if you can learn to like really hone that and sharpen it um so that was what the boston experience was was like getting funny funny right yeah that's yeah taking the next step like yeah exactly if i could take you back for one last question take you back to that south chicago first show yeah and right before you go on stage if you could pull yourself just off to the side and give yourself a little bit of advice to you before you go on what do you think you'd say oh man uh the piece of advice i would give myself before i go on stage uh i think in retrospect the thing i probably would either don't do it (laughs) or it would have been like uh talk to them like, I think that there's a big part of uh, comedy or at least the way that we approach comedy in the beginning where it's like, I wrote these jokes. I will recite these jokes. I will finish with more jokes. And I think that what I figured out as an artist, as like a person, is I like connecting with uh, the audience. I like to be able to feel like whatever I'm saying is present in the room, that they feel the presence in the room, that we've shared something together. And part of that comes from interacting giving some crowd work to them, like really figuring out who they are in the midst of who I sharing who I am. Nobody just wants you to tell, like if, if you walked into this room and just started telling me information about yourself, you'd be a fucking weirdo. But if you come up to me and say, Hey, how are you? How are you enjoying things? And then you tell me about yourself. Now we're having a good conversation. I don't think stand up is that different. I think they want to feel like we've engaged before you've become like an artist kind of thing. Um, and I think that it took years to figure out how to properly do that. But when I did, it was it was really helpful and I probably would have benefited from it a shit ton that night. Thanks for talking to me about your first gig. Hell yeah. Thanks for having me. Perfect. Stuff. Fuck yeah. Brother Doom. Boom. Boom. Another season bites the dust. Brother Doom. Boom. Boom. Well, another doesn't really make sense, because it's only the first season you had, so just one season, though. Oh, you're getting ahead of yourself. You've only done one so far. I am losing the plot, but it's okay.
at least I have you guys with me. Thank you so much for listening to my first gig today with Langston Kerman. What a great episode. What a great season. Oh, don't mind if I say so myself. How about you go back and you listen to James Acaster. You listen to Ardler Hanlon. You listen to Reg D. Hunter. You listen to Laura Lex. You listen to Catherine Bohart. You listen to Stuart Goldsmith. You listen to Sean Walsh. You listen to Jamali Maddox. You listen to Kiri pritchard McLean. And how about today's episode with Langston Kerman, guys? Thank you so much for joining me. Dwayne Dugan, I am your host. Yes, let's not forget about little old me. If you like listening from me, guys, then go follow me at Dwayne Dugan. I'll try not to spam you too much with my first gig promo. Got some fun things coming up for series two of my first gig. Got some fun things coming up for the Cherry Podcast Network about that around that time too. But look, sure, we don't know what's going on. Stay safe out there, guys. Wash your hands. Keep in touch. We'll see you on the other side. Thank you so, so much for joining me this series. You're the best. I'm the best. We're all the best. Take it away. We are the champions, my friends. Dum, dum, dum. And we'll keep on fighting till the end. Bum, bum, bum. Oh, come on, kitty with the backing vocals. We are the champions. We are the champions. No time for losers. Because we are the champions. Of the world. It's the My First Gig Podcast. Whoa.